unlock big savings during the Menards bag sale at Style and Security with Schlag lock sets. Menards carries over 50 styles of interior and exterior lock sets. And with Schlag's wide selection of smart locks and keyless entry locks, there's no more hiding keys under the doormat or losing track of copies. Save big money on Schlag lock sets. Plus, save 15% when you fit it in the bag. Now through January 14th, available in-store only at Menards. Save big money at Hi, this is Teresa Kariakis, coming to you from the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm on The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaiman. Pantheon Podcast presents, from Hollywood, California, The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaiman. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaiman as she brings you The Devil's Music. Hi, I'm Pleasant Gaiman, and welcome to The Devil's Music, a Pantheon podcast. As the devil himself apparently once said via the Rolling Stones, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a rock and roll witch from Hollywood, California. My obsession with music and the occult started at the age of 12 and is still going strong. During the 70s, I was one of the first punks in Los Angeles. I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go and had a Xerox fanzine called Lobotomy, which led me to writing a rock and roll gossip column in the LA Weekly, which in turn led me to writing for every major rock publication you could think of. In the 80s through the 90s, I fronted three bands. I'm a best-selling author with eight books out and more on the way. For the past 30 years, I've been a professional dancer who's toured around the globe teaching and performing, and you've probably seen me dancing in a number of music videos, feature films, and documentaries. I'm also an actor with several film credits. Find out more about me at PleasantGaiman.com. I'm really excited to be a part of the Pantheon podcast network of rock and roll shows. Everyone at Pantheon tells spectacular stories about the music we love so much, each one with a different twist. Find them all at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio.com, Pandora, hell, I just had to say that, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what we're doing here, head on over to PantheonPodcast.com and share a show with a friend, or I'll put a spell on you. Kidding. This is Pleasant Gaiman, and you're listening to The Devil's Music. Today, my guest is Adele Bertai. She is so amazing. Her her career has just been absolutely extraordinary. She first came onto the radar in the late 70s no-wave scene in Manhattan, or I should say lower Manhattan, playing with James Chance and the Contortions. But she's done so much beyond that. She's a musician, a singer, a songwriter, a writer-writer, and she's also a film director. She's worked with everybody you could practically think of, from Brian Eno to Debbie Harry, Thomas Dolby, Tears for Fears, The Pointer Sisters, Culture Club, Need I Go On? 
probably not, but I'm sure it'll come <laughs> out in this not. episode. <laughs> Adela's laughing now. We just, we, we've known each other since probably 1978 or 79, but we just reconnected and it's been so much fun. Hi, Adele. Hi, Pleasant. How are you? I am good. Both of us are bitching cool. about the Santa Ana winds. It's really windy. Yes. In LA I today. know. Don't they call the Santa Anas the devil winds too? Yes, they do. That's exactly what we are. <laughs> <laughs> We're experiencing the devil's wind. On the, the devil's, devil's wind, the devil's music. Actually, a friend of mine, Mary Gateskill, just wrote a book called The Devil's Treasure. That sounds which is a real. It's a really great book. You should you should pick it up. She's she's an amazing writer, of course, but um, it's it's her newest and it's a, a reprise of some of her other stories and a little kind of an adult fairy tale. It's really it's really great. So I wanted to plug that for her. Yeah. So let's um let let's let's where would you like to begin? I'd like to begin like from around the time we met, but you could also just go on with anything that you're working on now. Um, yeah i well i'm you know i haven't done i haven't recorded music in a really long time speaking of the devil's music i think uh i think we need um i think we need some some music to to stir up you know so, to, to speak some truths to what the hell is going on right now and and you know uh there are people writing protest music uh these days but it's kind of rare to hear it um, on the radio, that's for sure. Um, but no, I've been really called to start recording again. So I'm, I'm going to try and put something out later, later this year, because it's been a long time since I've been, since I've opened my mouth. <laughs> like a, like a so. solo record, you mean? What? <laughs> like, a solo, like a solo record? <laughs> yeah, a, solo, a solo record. It's the, it's the year of the water tigers. So it's time to, to roar and hear the bubbles too, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, all those tigers bubbling yeah. underwater and Carol That's Baskin's right. dead husband. And <laughs> <laughs> who may or may not be in the water or... <laughs> right. Tested by tigers who are land tigers and still alive. <laughs> we're getting we're getting off to a rollicking started. No, that's yes, cool. we are writing protest music. Um, I mean, because the old protest songs just don't cut it. Any of the ones that we hear that are sort of classic protest songs are just like, I mean, I know, I know. Cool yeah, have you ever listened? It's just not working nowadays. No, no. Have you heard um, Kay Tempest? She's British. She does kind of like a uh, spoken word, like very cool electronic. She's really fucking amazing. She's very radical. Um, she did a record years ago called Europe is Lost. And it's just like, bam, you know, she nails it. Um, she's really great. But that I, sounds I really cool. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of a lot of music about like wet ass pussy and stuff, but there ain't enough about politics. <laughs> well, I mean, W A P. That's be, right, it's baby. Pretty political, but I, 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 I love, I love Cardi B though. I mean, like, no, I do too. I do, especially too. when she yeah. like goes live on Instagram or somewhere and just starts like, mm-hmm. like I, I saw one one thing of hers. I didn't. It might have been in 2020. It might have been in 2021. I'm having the pandemic time um, thing going on now, but it was. Mm-hmm. It might have been a little bit even before that because she she was in a limo and she was yelling about how her pants were so tight she was going to get a yeast infection. <laughs> and tried, like she was sitting in the limo without spanks on until like the moment that she had to exit the limo, and that's what she didn't like. So, she, <laughs> but she was she was like live. You know, live tweeting all this, yeah, Yeah. or or live. She was saying it to the camera in the back seat while it was driving. Oh my god! (laughs) Well, you know, I'm not allowed to say lady balls, but I would say that's lady balls. You know, there's there's certain things we're not allowed to say anymore in terms of woke culture because we'd have to say non-binary balls. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right. We have to say non-binary balls. It's just, I don't know. It's the music of it. It's the music. It's lacking. <laughs> you, know, you know, like, I mean, speaking of, of uh, like, the psychosis that's going on today. <laughs> I mean, yes. if I think something psychotic, it's fucking psychotic. Like, 
um, a few days ago. This is exactly what I heard in a, in a news broadcast and in this exact sequence that the anchor okay. person was very seriously saying that the green M&M was going to tone down her appearance and not have such long eyelashes. And instead of wearing go-go boots, was going to wear sneakers. <laughs> Wait, you guys can't see this, but Adele and I are on Zoom and she's, she's got her hand up her mouth fucking cracking up. You know, anyway, it's wait, 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 plug it. It's true. I've always wanted to fuck that green, green M M&M. and M. She's so slutty. But she was such a high femme. Yeah, she was, a, she, was a, she was probably a sex hashtag sex worker. But <laughs> my God. But wait, but wait. Okay, so it was going on about how she was getting rid of her go-go boots and taking off her false eyelashes and all this shit. And then, without missing a beat, the anchor person went right into. um Vladimir Putin is considering like invading the Ukraine. And I was like, like the Eminem came first. I mean, even for someone like me who's taken shit tons oh. of hallucinogenics, I was sitting there having my morning clap oh. going, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, come on. So the, the Eminem is not allowed to be a high femme. Yeah, I mean, wait. What, what, what happened? We're, women aren't allowed to be feminine anymore or no, Eminem's? I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm lost. I'm so unfathomably lost. Pleasant. I really am. I'm just and, lost. And also, okay, while we're while we're on that little like voyage, <laughs> then like <laughs> a, an, another uh, after another couple of days, then Stella McCartney. <laughs> 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 Stella McCartney designed a pantsuit for Minnie Mouse so she didn't have to wear a dress. <laughs> okay, Adele has oxygen to her face right now. I'm not kidding. Get out the smelling salt. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Oh my God. Okay. And, and and now what would you like to talk about now? <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, yeah, I I think maybe we should get off of this topic because it's too loaded. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. Okay. But but pleasant. Let's let's go back to let's go on back to 1977. Yes, when, and you were like very heavily involved in the LA punk scene, right? Yes, yeah, totally. Okay, cool. All right, because who were the the biggest punk bands in say seventy seven, seventy eight in LA? In, in LA, mm-hmm. I mean, definitely. I don't like still in in seventy seven. Like that was when the the germs were really coming to the forefront. But there was all these right. other bands that a lot of people may not know about um but x was definitely like just rising right up to the top and still i think is right. the most classic of all the la punk bands uh-huh um, and then was alice bag around yes uh, the, was she, yeah i'm just gonna say yeah. the bags the, the screamers bags, yeah. right uh, and the screamers were really like revolutionary for um mm-hmm. you know not even having any guitars or anything and tomato going on stage in a straight jacket and they had such Mm -hmm. a really great visual presence both on stage but also in their artwork like like the screaming face that gary panther designed people still have new buttons of that or new shirts of that you know right yeah Yeah. um but anyway Kid, kid congo and i had been living at a um a couple of different punk houses, you know, and mm-hmm. when, when we started, when the, the mumps came out to New York and I mean, came out from New York to LA from in New York, 77. Yeah. And that was the right. interview I did for slash magazine was with the mumps, but they never credited the people that did the, the interviews, but I'd been like, you know, just a, a year and a half or so before that, Mm-hmm. I'd been babysitting people in a tiny little, you know, babysitting kids, toddlers mm-hmm. in a tiny little town in Connecticut, and then watching an American family like on on television. And so when I found out that the Mumps was Lance Loud's band, um, you know, and I was already, um, I didn't yet have a fanzine, but I was already writing for like 
you know, music papers. I'd send send stuff out. And I think I was writing for New York Rocker, the West Coast column at that point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, I wrote for them, too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All, the, all the hip girls. <laughs> 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 um, but so I wanted to... so. Um, Lance, Lance and the mumps and Christian and everyone, that was, that was, um, my first legit, like, you know, in-person interview. And I told that to Lance, of course, cause you know, I always just spill everything. I was like, I can't believe I was, I love the TV show and blah, blah, blah. And this is the first interview I've ever done. And the, and my parents were writers, but uh-huh. I'd be asking him, him questions and he'd be going, this is great. This is great. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> and so then we all got to be really, really good friends and, like the mumps, everyone in LA loved them, like went crazy over them. And so a little bit after that kid and I started going back and forth to New York so we could see what the New York scene was like. I mean, we were, we were super interested in it anyway with that Mm -hmm. and London and, you know, Mm -hmm. and with San Francisco too, Mm -hmm. with any, anything punk that was going on in those days. And for anyone that's listening, obviously I don't have to tell you there was only landlines, no social media, no email, and if you got music papers, even from New York, there'd be like a week or two lag. And then if you got them from England, they were still coming across on boats, you know, not right. even on airmail. So anything that you read in them was way outdated. And so it took yeah. us, we all knew kind of what was going on, but we weren't up to the minute on it. So right. yeah. we decided to yeah. get really up to the minute and just go to New York to see what was happening. And we were just amazed by New York. I mean, we'd been to uh-huh. New York City before, but the punk scene was so different but than LA, but so amazingly cool. And mm-hmm. so we were staying with Christian Hoffman from the Mumps mm-hmm. and Bradley Field from Teenage And Bradley, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, I can still do good impersonations with him. But I think, <clears throat> I know that's how we met you. I don't remember exactly where we met. I can't remember if it was at a party or at Max's or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was in the contortions at the time, so yeah. that, you know, it, pro- it could have been any of those places. I mean, there were pretty much like, I would say about two, like roughly 200 people, musicians, artists, filmmakers, poets, uh, you know, and we all kind of knew each other downtown and we were all collaborating with each other. And, you know, and the, and I think uh, one of the ways it was, it was a little different in New York is that um, our punk music wasn't so punk. We called it no wave because we were really kind of intent on destroying like the basics of pop music, you know, the like verse chorus uh, power chord thing. Uh, like for instance, in the contortions, uh, we were very into funk, but it was like this noisy slashy funk that was very disjointed. I mean, you can hear it on that song, the contortion song, um, I Can't Stand Myself, which is a cover version of, a, of, J- of James, James Brown. Brown. Yeah. But it's like so frenetic and nuts. You know, we did that with uh, Eno producing for the No New York record. So it was a really exciting time because everybody was so free, Pleasant. I mean, it's it's it was a diametrically opposed time to where we are now. Where we are now, it just seems like uh, and I feel kind of, you know, bad for kids because they have to brand themselves so strategically and so with such narrow definitions, you know, you are this or you are that. You can't say this, but you should say that. And it's all very um, conformist. You have to conform to very specific ideals and brands and things. And man, back then we were so fucking free, sexually, gender-wise, musically, artistically. It was just this explosion of creativity and it was wild and it was so much fucking fun. And gay people were fun. Yeah, then. they were totally, yeah, every, everybody was fun. I mean, that's- Everybody that's- was, yes. So when I used to, I mean, it was like that in LA too, except we were more influenced by, you know, all the, the beachier shit, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. But it was, yeah. it was about, it was, it was originally about a hundred people and then it grew to be about 200 people before it got corrupt by, you know, like all the, um, all the testosterone, like, like crazy yeah. motion you know that kind of punk but um oh yeah yeah it was like like we had the run of the streets and in new york i felt like you did because kid Congo oh, yeah. and i walked everywhere you know and mm-hmm. and we would always mm-hmm. bump into people like we used to see sid vicious on the street all the time oh yeah, yeah. And 
bump into like, you know, it would be like, oh, um, you know, let's go and sit at Manic Panic for the afternoon and we'd hang out with like Tish and Sticky and just people would be coming in there. And I mean, also, I think all of us had a lot more time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you want to hear a sad story about Sid Vicious? Yeah. So, so I lived, I lived in a building on East third street between second Avenue and first Avenue. And Mm -hmm. a lot of us lived in that building. Amos Poe, the filmmaker, Jerry Nolan from the heartbreakers was one of my good buddies. He lived on the main floor and the heartbreakers had a rehearsal space in the basement. Of course, everybody was slamming heroin back then because it was, you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a fucking bag of heroin. In those it, days. Yeah. You guys got heroin. Sorry to interrupt you. You guys got heroin oh. way earlier than LA did. Oh my God. It was just crazy. So one day it was like, in, I, I can't remember what month it was, but Sid had been released from jail after the Nancy Spongin thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And he used to do heroin with Jerry. And I don't know if Jerry was dealing to him or not, but, um, I, I came home one day in the late afternoon and Sid was sitting on the front steps of the building and pleasant. He looked like a ghost. I mean, I've never seen a kid look, look so devastated, like the despair on his face, you know? And I asked him, you know, if he was waiting for Jerry and he said, yeah. And he was very monosyllabic. He could hardly talk. I said, listen, come on upstairs. I'll make you some tea until he gets home. You know, you, we can call him on the phone. So he came upstairs and I, I played some reggae or something and just made him a lot of milky cups of tea, you know. Um, and he, he could hardly talk. And it, I swear to God, it was kind of like he was already gone, you know. It was like I was talking to a ghost. I felt so bad for him. I mean, Jerry showed up eventually. We called him and he went downstairs. But I'll, I'll never forget that 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 uh, visit with him because he he died you know well shortly after that but it was just so so sad you know and 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 so many of my friends died of heroin overdoses i mean george scott the first bass player in the contortions an amazing guy adorable all the girls fucking loved george you know um died of a heroin overdose um i think he was 21 maybe wow so, um, you know, he was the first one to go, but there, you know, there were a lot of people that, that, that died of heroin that, back then. And, and it really was everywhere. And I, I'm kind of a conspiracy theorist. I, I feel like, you know, there was so much excitement going on and, and, and there was a political anarchy about it all. And it just seems to me like, wow, how convenient. Let's just dope everybody up so we can take the energy down, way down, way down, you know? Um, it was just too convenient. It was everywhere. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would, I, I don't know if you've, I mean, I'm only judging this from a television series, but if you've watched any of those Narcos shows, um, I think mm-hmm. some of it goes pretty, pretty true to um, the way that, that uh, they functioned in, in Miami and New York and LA and coming up, mm-hmm. you know? So, mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of, gave me a glimpse into like the through line of heroin how because when heroin came into LA I'm sure there there's always been people doing it since since like LA started you know like sure, but, sure. yeah I mean you know there's there's been heroin around forever but mm-hmm. when it started coming in there, there was an initial part of a tiny trickle of it and then it just like so land in and and at one point I remember feeling like I was like probably the only person I knew that wasn't on heroin. Mm. And that was, and that was only because my older brother, like much older had died in New York of a heroin overdose. Mm. You know, I was just yeah, like, I'm yeah. never going to have a needle in my arm ever, you know? Right. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. No, I mean, and, and it was just, it, it, we were all so young. That's what was so that felt diabolical about it was that we were all so young and it was, they, they could have, they, they might as well have just, you know, brought it to our doorstep with a bag of candy and said, here, you know, <laughs> here, I mean, that's how, exactly. That's how ubiquitous it was. It was just fucking crazy. It really was. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty gay and, you know, was like all over the place sexually back in those days. But I remember there was a time when every lesbian on the Lower East Side had a copy of William Burroughs's junkie book next to the bed. Oh. <laughs> 
with a with a hypodermic needle on the other side. <laughs> okay. I'm glad we're, we're I'm glad we're stopping this drug conversation on the lighter side for a second. Let's let's take a let's take a musical break now. And uh Adele and I will be right back. Something that has to do with drugs and the the late '70s scene in New York. I mean, the the in LA, there's a, it seems like there's a caste system more. You know, like we weren't associating with like hyper rich people or really famous people as much as it happened to me in New York. I mean, it's happened mm-hmm. a lot through the years, but mm-hmm. like I remember. Um, do you remember Anton? The student creature, the student teacher's roadie. He was a kid, he was a kid really. from Brooklyn. He was always at CBGBs. He knew the fast. Mm-hmm. He knew, well, anyway, he had a giant, like, like you know, sixties wood paneled, um, falling apart station wagon. <laughs> and one time, he just pulled up at at uh, CBGBs because um, anyone that got in the car with him, um, you know, we could all go to like. It was either a party for Blondie or I think it was a party for Blondie or Blondie was playing. It was some insane thing at Studio 54. And so like, do you remember Liz and Ruth Seidman, the twins? Yes. Sisters. Mm -hmm. Okay. For the listeners, these girls were like 13 and 14 and out at clubs every goddamn night. They were like, (laughs) they were, they were like barely out of their preteens um verging on 35 i mean there there was they looked like fairy tale children they had really pale like skin and really beautiful sort of auburn hair and they'd be like just smoking like lucky strikes or or something and just like yeah yeah fuck that i don't like that or you know Well, it's like Howie Pyro's Pyro's I was just going to say Howie and yes. Howie Pyro. Howie and Nick. And Nick were oh, my God. Yeah, I couldn't believe the amount of, like, actual children. And, I mean, I, was, I wasn't I was even, like, I, I was, like, barely a legal adult then. But, I mean, I was like, <laughs> wow, these are, like, people that are, like, 14 that are out at clubs every fucking night. It was amazing. Yes, yes. They were, like, they were like our little brothers and sisters, you yeah. know? It was just so funny. that yeah. the, the, and, the, the club owners would let them in. No, know? I know. That's what I mean. So anyway, they yeah. like they were all in this um, station wagon with Anton and Kid and I went. And I mean, probably the student creatures. I, it was just a carload of people from CBGB. Right. And yeah. so I don't even I don't even know how how we parked or where he put the car or whatever. But like we all just like waltzed in, and there was like that whole Studio Fifty Four line that you hear about of people like yeah. dying to get in. We just like marched in. And yeah, I, yeah. That, that was actually like in the same way how I, I went to the Sex Pistols um, in San Francisco. Like in that case, I was so high. I didn't even think about cutting the line. I just walked right up. I, I And then it, after I was already inside, I was like, oh, there's a line. <laughs> <laughs> that that was an infamous show. Wasn't that the last show of their tour? Yes. And yes, yes it was. Yes. And I was I was pressed up against the stage and in a crowd of people and my feet weren't even touching the ground. Let's take a break now. Hi, here we are again. But mm-hmm. you know that that concert that happened lately um, in, I think it was in Houston, where so many people got trampled to death? Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. I, I, thought, mm-hmm. I, I thought of that immediately when I heard about it, because that was so horrifying. But that could have happened yeah. at a number of, like, crazy punk gigs, but especially yeah, yeah. Sex, sex Pistols gig. Yeah. I was literally not touching the floor. yeah. No, that happened to me at an at Iggy Pop, uh, an Iggy Pop and the Stooges thing, where I was pressed up against the, you know, the railing, yeah. right in front of the stage. Yeah. I was crushed. I thought I was gonna like, I thought that was it. Where was you that? At? 
Um, that was actually here. I think it was at the, uh, it was at, it was at that uh, theater on, um, on uh, not Beverly, Santa Monica Boulevard. I can't remember wh- exactly which v- venue it was, but it was just, it was really dangerous. I remember that. It wasn't the Wilshire, but I can't, I can't remember which, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, that, but yeah, that can, it can be really dangerous, those crowds, you know? So we, I never thought of stuff like that in the olden days. <laughs> no, me neither. Not in the olden days. And, and people didn't <laughs> think of stuff like that on stage either. So um, I remember always just like one of my favorite things about the New York scene was um, mm-hmm. just people had, New York had its own aesthetic there was a lot of crossovers and the way it looked but like la seemed to be more um junk story junk store ish oriented you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and and, you know we perfected the art of dumpster diving salvation army before anybody knew that there was gold in them their boxes (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you guys had all these cool stores like trash and vaudeville and Mm -hmm. um, people making clothes for you for Mm -hmm. you guys i'm just saying you guys as the collective because i know it wasn't for everyone but you know like Mm -hmm. like steven sprouse making stuff for debbie and then Um, what was that girl Natasha that used to make the spandex because when I first met James's girlfriend Anya Mm -hmm. she had a lot of really cool spandex was was her name that was uh, Anya Phillips was I think that was Anya making those spandex things made that too because there was another girl that made like like legging like they they would now be called leggings but they were jeans made out of spandex that had lines of the sides and stuff but it wasn't a big company but so Anya made a lot of those Oh, she made this, the stuff that Debbie was wearing, the like real pebbles and bam, bam kind of, yeah. you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was, that was Anya for sure. For Anya sure, was yeah. beautiful. She was, yeah. Yeah. I remember um, hearing James getting into big fights in the middle of the street a lot. Am I, am I, am I blowing it out of proportion or was that? No, I mean, they, you know, they, everybody was on drugs back in those days. It was insane. People were insane. They really were. Um, the, the acting out and the craziness, but back to the, the fashion or the anti-fashion, I like to call it, you know, there were a lot of like um, Jewish clothers that were all in the Essex street, like Lower East side area. And they had a lot of dead stock. So there'd be yeah. like these really cool dead stock shops where we would shop like, and girls, you know, there was a lot of androgyny among the girls. Sometimes we dressed like boys. Sometimes we dressed like, you know, I don't know, Jean Moreau in Elevator to the Gallows. I mean, people were really into like uh, film noir and French, you know, French no wave. So people would pick characters and just play with fashion. And you could, everything was so dead cheap. You could, you know, you could dress like any fantasy for pennies, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And we, Um, we we did all that too. You would see some, some old movie and then like, like you could go and just get a a dress like that at a, at a, a studio sale or at someone's yard sale, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally. No, it was incredible. A lot of the guys like, uh, John Lurie and, you know, guys like that, they would dress like very kind of fifties, you know, yes. with the, with the Borsalino caps and the hats and the, and the pants with the pleats. And, and, um, it, it was just really fun. Everybody was so creative and, and, and it was, yeah, it was exciting. That was a really good look that John Lurie had, I thought. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. Great. And then, um, like Nick Knox from the cramps. He always, he always looked like, he always looked like a hitman in a mafia movie. Yes, me. exactly. Or like, yeah, a, like yeah. a, dug up corp, <laughs> a dug up corpse of a hitman, but a hitman. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there were people, you know, the other thing people don't realize is that, and I'm writing about this now is that there were so many women that came from all over the world to hit that scene, you know, yeah. Um, Lizzie Mercier from Paris, the au pairs from England, um, uh, the Delta Five, um, Germany, Malaria, the girls in Malaria, which was a fantastic oh, yeah. uh, band from Berlin. So uh, all of these women were coming from all over the world to New York to not just to make music, but to make art, too. So it was really kind of like the first revolution of women in art. 
And it happened in New York. And it started in the mid 70s and, you know, went into the 80s somewhat. Yeah. And there were so many great women making art and films and music back then, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and Go ahead. No, I, was, I just wanted to say in, in a lot of ways, I think it also inspired the, the guys because we didn't give a fuck if they didn't like it. So they were inspired by the fact that we were doing what we wanted to do, despite, you know, the kind of like sexist gendered roles that we were supposed to be playing. So they would take even greater risks because they saw us taking risks, you know? Yeah. It was an interesting time. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. There was, there was, there was a lot of, there was stuff like that happening here, um, Mm -hmm. but on different, on different levels, but everyone was doing, I mean, this is something that I think a lot of younger people don't understand about early, early punk and the punk scenes, like in, in many cities that there was such an intertwining of, of music and art and literature mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Everyone in those days, everyone read, everybody mm-hmm. read, like you could, yes. you know, read, we, we'd all be reading the same books sort of like through osmosis, not because it was on a bestsellers list or trendy, you know? Right. Yeah. Then, yeah. Um, but it was, uh, it was about outlaw literature. Exactly. We, you know, it was outlaw. It was not conformist. It was not you know, it wasn't the academy or academics telling us what we should be reading and who was trendy right at that moment. It was about people who broke rules. It was code breakers, you know, yes. and now everything's to code. You know what I'm saying? It's, oh, it's, almost, it's almost Stalinist and they don't understand that what they're doing. It's got- like, it, it's come on. Have some fucking fun. Take I got, some risks. I got censored. I mean, not not censored, but a bot popped up on Instagram not that long ago. Uh huh. Where I was de- I was describing a squirrel that I had seen. Uh oh. And, and no, <laughs> I know. I couldn't, I couldn't believe this. I was just like, "Hi, big brother." Um, I was describing a squirrel, and I said, "This little fatty." And a fucking bot popped up, and it said, "Um." Like, do you really want to post this comment? Comments similar to this have been taken down. Like, oh, as though I was like fat shaming or something. I mean, oh my God. isn't that scary? It is scary. It's really scary. I mean, I just wrote a book about growing up in the in the 1960s and 1970s as a working class girl of a racist Italian father, you know, and I'm telling the truth about what it was like at that moment in yes. time in Cleveland as a working class yeah. white girl who was queer and having to get the shit beat out of her because of it. Right. Yeah. And we used a different language. People, you know, people were racists. People were sexists. People are. And this is our history. So I can't I can't I can't whitewash that. I have to tell the truth of what that was like, what it was like growing up with those people. And yes, it was horribly wrong. But how are you going to know it's it's wrong if you don't fucking tell the truth? And this is the way people talk. No, of you course, know? you've got to do that. I mean, people don't yeah. understand so much of that stuff. Like I got to, I got an email um, a few months ago from someone from a book that I uh, that I had written in 1994. And I was talking about something that happened in the 80s. And I called I called someone a tranny in the book because that's what everybody called them. Exactly. And they're like, they're yeah. like, can you take this out? And I was like, well, first of all, that book's out of print. Second of all, I wouldn't take it out because it's of the time. Right. Right. You know? But see, but see, that's it. something else that's happening in, in LGBTQ culture about that stuff is that there's a whole generation of baby boomers, queers. Yeah. Yes. And that we, you know, we all called each other names, but it was in jest and it was funny. And it was like, oh, you tranny, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And, you you know, you bull dagger or, you know, we would call each other names and we would celebrate it in a way like we're taking the power back because we're going to call ourselves these fucking names. That's and we're going to have fun with it. Yeah, no, I'm, you know? I, I am queer too. I mean, that's, that's why the word, that's how the word queer came back into use. I'm, I'm not saying that to you though. I'm saying that to anybody that's listening. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like when you try to censor people that are in their fifties and sixties who grew up 
with a culture where they had to use these words to celebrate themselves and each other. Yes. And you're telling and you're trying to shame them about it. These are the people who got their asses kicked out in the street for you for 20 years so that you could be who you are today. Don't fucking shame them. Don't you dare. You know, you can talk however the fuck you want to talk right now, but don't shame your the ancestors who fucking fought in the streets for you, getting their asses kicked. That's it. I stri- mean, you know what I mean? This is exactly true, too. This is like when I mean, that there, there was I mean, there was actually like over the years. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it's like now because of the pandemic mm-hmm. and stuff, too. But I mean, there was I right. remember when 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 gay men when. I remember the days when like I would walk into some club and um I'd be like I'm bi and then um if, if there was dykes around they would just be oh you just haven't met the right girl yet do you know what I mean and <laughs> of course uh, yeah but, but then um <laughs> but nobody believed in bisexuality um, right yeah in those days you know it was like you had to be one of the other and then there was so much hate of women like all all the um the guys, not all of them, but a lot of them would, do you remember when they would call women fish and just be, yes. Ew. and then when they call like a straight couple or even just a woman, a breeder, and like, as though it was the most disdainful <laughs> term that you could, you could apply. And I remember when, when, when like same sex couples started adopting babies and, and when it went, when it was first coming out in LA and you'd see yeah. Hollywood, like full of strollers and stuff. And I felt like going, now is the fucking breeder asshole. There's nothing wrong with wanting kids. I mean, I never wanted kids to like breed them, you know, and I I didn't have kids anyway, but that's beside the point. But what's what's not to love about having a baby? Come on, you know, and you were acting like it was some like hellish thing. And now look at (laughs) you. Right, exactly. No, but I'm not saying that culturally, like gay people were sacrosanct in the old days, but I'm saying- you know, that there's a Stalin-esque element to this kind of like language shaming that's going on that is just, it's it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction to, and I understand, listen, if we could get rid of the fucking binary, I would be very happy, but it's not going to happen if you're shaming everybody about yeah. the words they use constantly. That's not, that's just going to make people angry. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's it's not going to work. It's going to boomerang. There's got to be different ways and different nuanced ways of us speaking to each other and trying to understand each other in a in a la- in a common language that's not so mean and ugly and aggressive and shaming and bullying. There's so much bullying that's going on. Uh, you know, I don't remember this happening when like before, you know who, Twitter, that fucker, like it just seemed to ramp up like, you know, exponentially, like 8,000%. He gave permission for people to be ugly and mean and bullying, bullying, you know? And it happens just as much on the left as it does on the right. No, it, happen- you know? it happens It happens across the board. It doesn't even matter. I think what your political or sexual affiliation yeah. is or anything. I think, yeah. I think online bullying too, a lot of people say that, but there's also this other um kind of like like swing in the opposite direction like like and like in LA here like no one says homeless anymore everyone says our unhoused neighbors and stuff like that which I mean I can agree that we're all humans but like my my unhoused neighbors in in my in the part of LA that I live in I look like like meth head reinterpretations of of like a Mad Max movie, but without the cool costumes and the, the flying machines and stuff. I mean, right, right, right. Yeah. neighbors are horrifying. They're, they're, they're straight out of like Night of the Living Dead. Well, exactly, because this culture, American culture is fucking insane. It's insane. I mean, my I have an unhoused neighbor who practically <laughs> stabbed my, my other housed neighbor the other day, you know? I mean, it's, Listen, the fact that people cannot afford a house to live in or an apartment to live in is catastrophic. And this, you know, this it's this is capitalism gone fucking berserk, you know, and we're living in this kind of like Alice down the, the rabbit hole with it all because it's gone completely mad. 
Yeah, it and has people, been. it's just yeah. yeah we're, we're, I think it's the end. It's totally the end of the empire. It might even be the end of the world. But here's the other thing that's very scary: is this thing with COVID? Okay, this two two plus years of COVID and all these people that were let go of their jobs and these big corporations that you know, where tens and thousands of people have lost their jobs, like maybe hundred more than 100,000 people, they're not getting those jobs back because they're replacing them with AI. Yeah, AI, I know. AI, AI is, is coming. Scary. Yeah. AI is here and it's going to keep developing and they're going to keep putting people out of work and there's going to be more unhoused neighbors and it's just going to get worse and worse. No, it's- I hate to say it. For, for all you younger people listening, like Adele <laughs> and I are absolutely sure that we are witnessing the decline of Western civilization. And we're not talking about the Penelope spirit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> because what we wanted to do when we were younger was um, like, you know, break down a bunch of walls and stuff. But now the walls are crumbling around us because there's no fucking infrastructure. And the people that are running this whole mess are out of their fucking minds. Like if they thought yeah. we were insane during punk rock <laughs> during the late 70s, like I look at some of this shit coming out on the news and we're not even talking now about the green m M&M. and I mutter the I mutter the words, what the fuck? More than I did, like if I was getting arrested in 1980 or something. <laughs> You know? <laughs> no, it's just baffling. It's just, thank God we have friends that we can laugh with about it because otherwise I would be weeping from dawn, dawn to dusk, you know, because it's really tragic what's happening out here. No, it's, it's, um, yeah, here it's in LA, so, but I mean, have you, have you talked, I, I'm sure it's happening like all over the, the country. Oh, it is. Maybe not I mean, in the same degree, but I don't think the the uh, the uh, unhoused situation is quite as bad. No, as No, because in the weather, like I mean, yeah. like like the weather that's going on yeah. right now on the day that we're recording this across like all of the Midwest and the East Coast is like yeah, like no airlines are running and it's not, you know, it's just because of like the the snowstorms and the crazy. Yeah, but we're we're not going to go into like um any climate change bullshit. No, 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 no. Let's, 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 let's just is, take a, a little beeline around that, please. Yeah, this is the most <laughs> this is the most political devil's music that we've ever had. Oh, it is? Yeah. Because oh, yeah. usually wow. one time my producer said, is it a prerequisite that all your guests took major amounts of hallucinogenics? <laughs> and I was like, no, just a coincidence. Speaking of hallucinogenics. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. You know that song? I told you about that song I did like quite a long time ago called Can't Stop the Dance. Yes. Okay. That song is kind of like a fucking Va- Wagnerian opus. It's like the witch's revenge song. And I was thinking about it because who was I talking? I, was, I think I was talking to Lydia Lunch about this. The fact that um, witches... Do you know that they killed between 200 and 500,000 witches in Europe in the, um, I think it was like between the 14th and 16th. Yeah, like around the time of the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah, almost 500,000, somewhere between 200 and 500,000. Did you hear that a bunch of Scottish witches got pardoned like a couple of months ago? I mean, people that had died in those times. Really? Yeah, but and, I mean, and they brought them back up and and pardoned them. I, they didn't. They didn't bring. They didn't exhume them. <laughs> they rose them from the dead. They yeah. exhumed them. <laughs> somebody on Twitter. I never thought I'd say a sentence like this until very recently. Somebody on Twitter said, "A little late now." <laughs> like, but yeah, so let's talk. Let's talk about some witchy stuff because have you have you noticed that like like witchy stuff is so so it's still all the rage it's been it's been building and building for a few years and it to me i compare it to punk rock yes no i agree i think it's an, i think it's incredibly empowering i mean uh this is why they wanted to kill us all because you know women have such incredible power and you know the witches back in the back of the old days um, they really knew about herbology and they, you know, they were very close to nature. They knew which herbs to use to heal and, and, you know, uh, 
and had to poison. But what was that thing? I guess there was um, there was a time when they would make these salves out of. Uh, you mean are you going to talk about flying ointment? Yes. yes. <laughs> I, I I want flying ointment more than I wanted to get Spanish fly from a street vendor in Tijuana. <laughs> I think we should start trying to work on some flying ointments, don't you? We should, yes, I think so. We should start a band together called Flying Ointment. <laughs> no, but they were saying that that's what the whole broom riding thing was about. Yeah. Yeah. That the, that the brooms were like, you know, dildos, they were, like they were anointed with flying. It's hallucinogenic or something. Yes. <laughs> you guys were not making this shit up. <laughs> for, for all of you this guys. shit up, boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Which, which, okay, I just, oh, which. I mean, W-H-I-C-H, not W-I-C-C-H. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just, when you said that, it just made me think this is so wrong. That made me just think of the boring, innocent movie with Linda Blair, who was playing a possessed girl in another movie called The Exorcist at the same time. In Boring Innocent, she got raped oh. in jail with with a with a broom. I think it was. Oh, that's so horrible. No, that was horrible. But that I just <laughs> thought of that when we started talking about flying ointment. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my God. No, but 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 seriously, um, like Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Weil, they wrote this thing, you know, uh, and I a song called Pirate Jenny, and I, I love I that. Chance- yes. I can't stop rewriting Pirate Jenny. When it's like I've done my to? own version of it. You should sing what? it. Can you sing it a cappella? Tell, tell us the words. Und ein Schiff mit Absägen und mit Fernsehkanonen wird in Schwinden mit mir. Basically, that what that says is a big ship with 50 cannons um, will disappear with me because I'm wearing the flying ointment. Is it because of flying <laughs> no, ointment? Just or you're just saying that? <laughs> no, I, I made that part up. No, but that's, you know, that, that was the translation that the ship is going to come and they're going to blow up all you motherfuckers and I'm going to disappear with this ship. I mean, that's basically the story of Pirate Jenny, but Can't Stop the Dance is my version of Pirate Jenny. Okay, well, let's listen to that right now. <laughs> it's not. It's nuts. It's like Wagner. All right. I can't wait. Adele and I have come back from our flying ointment um, like excursion, and we're back with you again. We're back on the ground. Here we are. Um, <clears throat> so this has really been a lot of fun. Is there anything <laughs> else we should talk about before I go? I don't know. I was just thinking how how there was there was like a, I was really just now off the top of my head thinking what a. Um, there was sort of a lot of explosion of occult music in the seventies, right before and right around punk rock, like especially Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, and, um, I'm trying to think. There was there was like a group called uh, Pentangle. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it was all that. Uh, there's always been a lot of like witchy, witchy shit and rock and roll together. And yeah, because Kate I Bush was, did a great song, a, a yes. great witchy song too, called Lily. Remember yeah, that Lily. song? That was yeah. great. But some yeah. of like this the the Fleetwood Mac stuff, I didn't appreciate it at the time, even though it was uh-huh. super witchy, because I just wanted to hear stuff like, you know, the con- the contortions or the down. <laughs> right, or, right. Or yeah, yeah. Other stuff. But I also remember um 
like when um when Exine and Lydia came out with Adulterers Anonymous, and, right. and people were like muttering around, at least out here, you know, that they looked like a couple of witches and, and mm. stuff. And, and both of them have like really struck me as like witchy in the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. But, you know, I also think that if you're really a witch, you're not going to be proclaiming it to everybody either. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes and no. I mean, now everyone talks yes. about everything on Instagram sure. or wherever. I mean, because sure. because there's mm-hmm. there's no, it seems like, the, I, I don't know. I mean, especially since the pandemic too, it seems like there's no, um, ex, you know, except for like, you can't show boobs or whatever on most, right. on most social media. I mean, right. people are saying the wildest shit. I've ever seen and making true confessions. And I mean, this isn't even just people I know, you know, it's right. Like, right. Um, but this, but, but the thing that's, that's interesting about, you know, the whole witch thing is, is really, it's about metaphysics. It's about people like the, the idea of the coven or a group of people concentrating on the same intention. Yes. And how powerful that can be. I mean, I really do believe that, that thought can move, you know, can actually create manifestations also sound sound can move matter and they're just starting to you know really learn how powerful sound vibrations can move matter and that's something that can be used for either really good or really evil you know like the havana uh, like the havana thing yeah yeah yeah. so but also also uh, like i guess like i mean i've heard stuff that like it it, coral castle as well as the pyramids coral castle was this mansion in florida Mm -hmm. that the Mm -hmm. guy built through like electromagnetics and sound i mean that is surmised not a fact you know it's not a fact but Uh um all of that kind of stuff is absolutely just fascinating to me like we don't we don't know so much about about many things Many things, but you know, I really think you know that's a huge fascination of mine is is the sound thing, because there's just been so many phenomenons in you know like like the pyramids yeah. that just seem like they're just com- completely impossible. How did they do that? And then you know you can see these experiments that people do with like a thin plate of uh, metal, and they'll mm-hmm. put like sugar or sand on top of the metal, mount a speaker under it and play certain musics and depending upon the music it'll create these incredibly beautiful patterns or these incredibly gnarled dissonant weird patterns physically the sound you know the sand or the sugar you know that's that's like that's like playing music for water like when they're blessing yes. water and yeah. like you can if if they were playing like let's just pretend they were playing some kind of like wild like punk rock or <clears throat> like some kind of a noise band or something, the water wouldn't come out. Like it would, it would come out in a way where if someone drank it, they'd be stressed out. But if they played like beautiful lilting classical music or some kind mm-hmm. of like nice notes, then the water actually yeah. was sweeter. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Even like, who's that guy? There's a Japanese guy that would take glasses and yes. he would write a, write a word on the glass. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and it would infuse the water with whatever that word was, or it's just so interesting. Like you know, that's like how that's thoughts. Like Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, yeah. This is, I mean, this is all. This is all like the you know what a lot of metaphysics and witchcraft is. It's thoughts, intentions, yeah. words. I was just writing about that mm-hmm. today because I'm going to be teaching a class on that kind of stuff, like in in August. Like that's great. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, like words and what people repeat to themselves, yes. what you would either get tattooed on yourself or what yep. you write. If you write something down on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. even this is like like a, a super easy little thing, but it it's words spoken or written, but written, I feel, is more powerful because it's coming out of the ether of your head and onto right. a page or onto a candle or something. right. Right. That just makes it really a lot more real, you know? Yeah, for sure. And ritual, you know, ritual is really important. People need ritual. Yes. I mean, that's why people love to go to live music concerts, because they're all together celebrating something together. 
Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a vibration. It's a musical vibration. And I mean, we, we need rituals so badly. I spend a lot of time in Trinidad in the Island of Trinidad. I'm and so Carnival. jealous. Oh my God. We'll talk about it sometime. Carnival culture there is so amazing. Here's the difference. You're born in Trinidad and the moment you're a little kid that you're cognizant, they, they put paints in your hands and teach you how to make masks or how to play a steel drum or you're, you're, you're totally encouraged toward art, you know, in all of its manifestations. And it's not an elitist thing at all. Everybody participates in making art and music throughout the year in preparation for carnival, which is like a week of ritual. Yeah, it's a week that everybody participates in. Therefore, the culture, everybody's like really happy and they're sexy and they're sensual. And it's just it's such a beautiful culture. So chilled out. So different from American culture where everybody's got a fucking gun and, a you know, an insult for every. I mean, it's just night and day. And that's an African East Indian culture, you know, And, and amazing. It's yeah. And it's it's just we have the the fact that America, you know, the white establishment of America could ever dare be influenced by a black and East Indian culture that maybe psychically they've got something going on that you're really missing, buddy. You know what I mean? It's like that would never occur to them. I mean, this this white European male fucking thing that's just killing us all. Oh, Sorry. No, that's okay. That's a, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, I'm really interested uh, in all that kind of stuff and colors and all of that. Yeah. All, all the all the good, 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 good vibrations. vibrations. I know they throw paint pigments at each other. Everybody's like colored in, you know, like different colored paints dancing in the streets. That's to kind like, of like Diwali oh. sort of in India. Yes. Yeah. It's a combination of Diwali and like um, African celebrations. And because it's kind of a hybrid of all this like wonderful stuff, you know. Um, wow. If you ever get a chance to go to Trinidad around Carnival or even a month or two before Carnival, because everybody's prepping for it, it would blow your head off. It's so amazing. It really you, is. You know what, what else, where else I really want to go before we do huh. this? I don't know. Have you ever heard of um, uh, St. Marie de la Mer? It's a, it's is a, that in France? Yes. And it's is a, it supposed to be where Mary Magdalene came over or something? Yes, but it's also like the the black ver- version. Of the black, the virgin. yes, the black yeah, version. The black yeah, yeah. It's a it's mm-hmm. like a huge Romani festival. Ah, that sounds great too. Yeah, that's well. There's that that whole area of France, like what's it called, the uh, Carcassonne, I think it's called, yeah. where. It's a very mystical area of, uh, yeah, I'd love to go there too. I just want to go to all the, all the mystical places in the whole fucking world. (laughs) Let's get a coven together and go. Let's get on our brooms and grease them up. Let's get them up, baby. Okay, I think on that note, if that's a good ending note, (laughs) will you listeners come with us, please? We'll let you know when it's happening. Yes. Come along with us on our merry, merry, witchy way. <laughs> okay. Well, that's been Adelbert Ty. Isn't she fabulous? We could have probably just gone on and on and on and on. And, and maybe we still will after, after this episode ends, ends for you guys. Um, anyway, Pleasant Gaiman signing off with the devil. Thank music. you. Thank you, Pleasant. It's been so much fun. Thanks. Thank you, Adele. It's been so awesome. And see you guys for our next episode. Bye. Bye. Could not make myself understood 
The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.